Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you all. It's good to worship together. I'm just excited to be here, but to be able to speak for you, it's special. So thank you for having me, and I'm excited for what we have, for what we have to study this morning. In John chapter 14, if you'll turn with me there. Thank you for your prayer this morning, Darren. One of the things you mentioned was the promises that we have. And I want to study a little bit about those promises. Because things clutter our mind, things get us distracted on a daily basis. And we get layers in our mind that cover the things that we used to have as a foundation. And so I want to study through this chapter and unpack the richness that we have in John 14. One of the things that's amazing about it is, for a lot of the Bible, we have snippets of of God himself speaking. We have snippets of what Jesus said to his followers in different situations. But from about John 14 to about 17, he just Jesus pours out his heart. We just get a one-way, with a little bit of interaction with the disciples, almost a one-way stream of Jesus just, just pouring out his heart to them, telling them all these things he, he has to let them know before he goes. And so this is special, what we're about to read. And at this point in John chapter 14, we're going to pick up Jesus has just called out his disciples in the upper room. He's up there with them, and he told them, Judas, you're going to betray me. He walked out and left him. Then he told Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. I'm going to be there for you. And he's like, no, you're going to deny me. And so there's a lot of tension going on because he tells them that he's about to leave. And they, throughout the, uh, throughout the gospel, they, they clearly didn't get it. They didn't get the fact that he said, I'm going to leave, but they're like, no, you're not. We're... We're going to set it up. It's going to be great here. And when he said he's going to leave, they started to get worried because they're like, what are you talking about? No, you're not. And so with all this turmoil going on, it's with all their anxiety and this stress that's building, after he's just told them all these things that are going to happen, that we read at the beginning of verse 1. John chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. So let's back up to verse 1 and and see what he's saying here. Verse 1, he says, let not your heart be troubled. He starts out by saying, regardless of what's happened, you can't get worried. You can't let your heart get anxious and and stirred up about this. You can't. It's an imperative. Don't let it happen. And usually when people tell us, you know, don't worry about something, they just say that. They say, don't worry about it. And they don't really give you anything to make you not worry. And so it doesn't really help. But I think Jesus is going to give us three things that will help us to not worry for good. He's going to tell us to not worry because of what he'll show, because of where we'll go, and because of who we know. He said you can't worry because of what he's going to show us, because of where we're going to go, and because of who we know. He says you believe in God, believe also in me. I can see him just sitting across the table under candlelight talking to his close friends. And remember that he's saying this to you by extension. That whatever you're going through, these are his words directly to you. Because you are his friends. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. As I understand this, word's actually better translated rooms, this word mansions. 
but because of some issues with the Latin Vulgate, they translated it mansions. But it makes sense more with rooms when you look at kind of the context it was written in. Because during this day and time, they would live together as families. If you had your extended family, you would all kind of share a, a big dwelling together. And when your family grew, they just added on a room. And it made sense because you lived together to feed off of each other. You have support systems for each other. They didn't have social security like we do, so you need to support the elderly. You need to share resources together. And this is how they did that. They would live together in big groups. And so they would just add on a room when the family got bigger. And he says, don't worry. There's plenty of room for you. There's plenty of rooms for every one of you. If it were not so, I would have told you. I love this chapter is so powerful because it deals with things that seem very distant and very far out in very simple ways. He's like, if it wasn't this way, I would have told you. I'm here. I'm being straight up with you. I'm being face value with you. You can trust what I'm saying. He said, this is the way it is. If it weren't so, I would have told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, as this picture of, of their own traditions at the time uh, is drawn here, it's amazing what Jesus says when you look at kind of the history behind it. And it has to do a lot with the Jewish marriage traditions at the time. Because during this time, a man, when he was looking for a wife, he had a prospective bride, and he was living in his father's house at the time. They probably didn't look anything like that. But he would see a prospective bride living somewhere else. And what he would do is he would leave his father's house to go to meet them, to spend time with them. And when he went, he came with a gift from his father. Maybe you've known it as a dowry. He came with a gift to give to her family. And if all went well and they worked it out, they would say, okay, this is decided. You're going to be engaged. You will be married. And so at that point, the dowry was given. Everything was set up. The gift was paid. They were engaged or betrothed. Then, after everything was climaxed, after all this was decided, it was such a big deal, he would turn around and leave. This man would turn around and go back to where he came from right after they got engaged. That doesn't really make any sense to us, but he had to go back to add on a room. He had to go back to get his father's house ready for them to live together. And so he would turn around and leave right after all this happened. And he would tell her, don't worry, I'm coming back to get you. I'm going to go get, re get things ready for you. And you can trust in that. But he would leave for an unspecified amount of time. And she just had to trust that it was going to happen. And it could be up to about a year before he got this house ready for them to live together. And when he finally finished, he started to make his way back to the woman. Now, they didn't have the communication uh, platforms that we do now. And so when he would start to come back, people would see him coming. And they'd say, hey, he's coming. He's coming to get you. Get ready. And the word would pass along ahead of him because word travels faster than foot. The word would get ahead of him and people would start talking. Hey, this guy's, get, this guy's on his way. Get ready. Get yourself ready. He's coming. And when they finally got back, she was ready to go. And they were reunited. And then they turned around and went back together to live in the Father's house. Now this is amazing when you look at what Jesus just said. He said, 
I'm going to go away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. There are so many overtones of what Jesus did. We learn in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. Jesus was there living in his Father's house in a special place, and he left. He left and came to offer a gift from the Father to pay for a new relationship. We know that as the new covenant. He came and brought a gift from the Father, that gift was his life. And when he paid that gift, that gift of his life, a new covenant was set up. His betrothed, he was betrothed to the church. We learn about Jesus being uh, the, the church being like the bride of Christ. This is all tied in with this. And he came and set up this relationship with his life. But he turned around and he left. And that's what his disciples are going through right now. They're struggling with is, What's going on? You're leaving. But he's like, I'm setting this up because I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to come back to get you. Don't worry. And the beauty of all this is we see this, and a lot of times we're frustrated, we're tired, we're anxious, we're worried, and we get slow in our faith. And we forget the big picture. The big picture is that half of this, most of this has already been done. Because in the Old Testament, you know, they had to wait. They were still looking for the Messiah to come. There was a whole process that still had to happen. But at this point, where we're at right now, Jesus has already left the Father's house. God of this world came in the flesh. He left. He came, paid a gift. He died. It's proven. You can look at history. And he left. So we're already here. And so the only thing we're waiting for is for him to come back. And it seems like it's been so long, what's going to happen? In the early church, they were frustrated because they were like, it's been like 50 years. What are we going to do? But it's been like 2,000 years, and so we feel the weight of that. We naturally feel that kind of sense of, what, is it really going to happen? But you can know that it is because of what he said. He, is, he said it's all in the plans. It's not like we're in a, a dead state with this whole process God is working out. The cogs are moving. Everything is turning. It's all in His timing. And so wherever you're at, you can know that we're at this point right here. He's getting that place ready for us. Are you ready for that? Are you that bride here getting ready? Are you looking forward to that? I kind of doubt that bride just forgot about him. When he showed up, he was like, oh man, I, yeah, you're coming back. I forgot about you. Is that how we are? Do you every day wake up with the joy knowing that it could be today? And if you don't, that's, that's real. That's, that's life. Life just covers our priorities with layers, with distractions. But it's so important to see the big picture. Because Jesus is doing things right now. He's getting things ready for us. I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. He says, and where I go, you know. And the way, you know. I love Thomas because he pretty much says what everyone was thinking, but he's the only one bold enough to say it. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? That's like saying, hey, I'm going somewhere. You want to meet me there? He'd be like, what? What are you talking about? He says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think that's true in a couple different ways. One, Jesus said in John chapter 10, 
that he is the gate to the sheepfold. He is the door. You can't get in without him. Because if you go in any other way, you're, you're not legitimate. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the way in. But it's also true in the sense that, you know, if I was going to tell you how to get somewhere, I could say, hop on the main road. You're going to go uh, left. You're going to turn left. You go about a mile that way. You're going to hang a right in about a quarter mile. And uh, it's going to be the third house on your left, whatever. I could give you those kind of vague instructions. Or I could say, hey, I'm going to get in my car. You get in yours and you follow me. I'll take you there. And Jesus, so to speak, did both of those. He got in his car, so to speak, and he took us there. He spent the time. He took the time out of his heavenly existence where everything was perfect. He came down and he got in his car, so to speak, and took you there. That's special. He says, I, no one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. You know this idea for me, I'm kind of visual, so if this seems extra to you, I apologize, but this, is, this helps me sometimes. It, when, when I think of the idea of seeing God, it seems like it's a distant idea. Like when I go up in the mountains and I'm backpacked in and I'm in the middle of a clearing and there's not a light around except for the sky. And it's glowing like I've never seen it before. In that moment, I try to see God for whatever that means. I try to see God and understand Him. Or if I'm standing on the edge of the ocean, I look out. I try to see God. And honestly, I kind of get confused. I'm just kind of unsettled. I don't quite get it. I can't comprehend it. But one of the things he's going to tell us in just a minute will clear that up a lot. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. So he says, if you know me, you know the father. Okay. So was his physical qualities. Was it seeing his physical form and the things he did fleshly that we need to know? Well, no, because we learn in John chapter 6 that Jesus came and he was, he was feeding the multitudes. He had given them physical food and he was feeding thousands and it was an amazing scene. And they saw that and they're like, yes, Jesus, give us this bread always. We love it. This is great. And Jesus is like, you don't get it. I'm the bread that come from God. I am the manna from heaven. I'm the one you should be paying attention to. Do you look at me? And he's like, they're like, well, Jesus, we know your parents, so. And they just didn't get it. So it's not the physical qualities Jesus possessed. It's not the things he did for them physically. It's his spiritual. It's his character. It's the things he teaches. It's the things he lived by. It's his ideologies. It's his life. It's the things he brought that was different than anybody ever brought. He's like, if you know me, you know the Father. In a little bit, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, and he may abide with you. So as you think about knowing God, Jesus says, just follow me. Just follow my footsteps. And you know what happens with me, I think, is, you know, I think I try to do that. But I'm just sitting there looking down at the ground, trying to follow in his footsteps, and I never take the time to look up and see where I'm going. I never take the time to look up and realize, wow, I'm getting closer to God. 
Do you realize that? That it might seem like a far-out idea to know God, but if you're walking closer to Him, you're following in His footsteps, you're getting closer to the Creator. And you can know Him, and you can know Him for sure. That's what Jesus says. He's like, if it wasn't so, I would have told you. It's that simple. And you can know that you know Him. If you would have known me, you would have known my Father also. Philip said to him in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and that is sufficient for us. He's like, just, just show us this, and, and then that's enough. You know what amazes me is they had the Son of God walking with them and talking with them. They were close to him, and they looked past it. They're like, no, just, just show us this, and then. Does your faith feel that way? Does your faith feel like an if-then faith? Just, just show us this, and, and then it'll be enough. Just, just do more than, than you're doing right now, and then I will. That's a trap that even they fell into. His close friends, his, his disciples fell into. So it's, not, it's nothing new. But we have to read, you have to understand this so we can get past it in our own faith. He said, just, just show us the Father and that's enough. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe for the sake of the works themselves. See, they kept looking past it. And he's like, you don't, don't look for more than what I have provided you with. Don't take rest anywhere but the plan I have for you and what I'm showing you. Pay attention. Dig into this. He's like, I'm right here with you still. Verse 12, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's an amazing thing he just said. Whatever I ask, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Do you realize that he's provided you that outlet? You can literally talk to this God that we're, we've been talking about. You can literally speak to him, and he's like, I got you. I'll give you what you need. But it, it's, lines up, it's when you line up with his will. He says, and whatever you do, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, that in my name is really closely tied with, you know, if it's, if it's in our best interest. And part of that is, in your life, we need to line our interests up with God's. And if you don't feel like they are, Pray about that. Say, God, my interests aren't lined up with yours. And maybe that's why you don't feel like your prayers are being answered is because your interests don't line up with God's. What are your interests? Do you really care about the things that the Creator cares about? Do I really care about the things the Creator cares about? He says, if I do, he's like, ask. I'll give you it. No one else can say that. You, can, you might have a boss that gives you some perks that's like, hey, can I get the tickets? And he's like, yeah. And that's an amazing thing for us. Like if we get one little perk from a boss, we feel like, man, he's powerful. He helped me out big time. He says, whatever you ask in my name. Your life can have meaning. Your life can have value connected to the real source of value. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Just connect to me and you'll have fruit. If you want value in your life, connect to me. Just stay in me. Have your interests aligned with where I'm going. 
and it'll be good. I will do for you. I will work fruit through you. Are you producing fruit? Am I producing fruit? Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. So when Jesus left, he said, I'm going to leave something with you. He tells us he's not going to leave us orphans. My question for you is, do you feel like an orphan spiritually? So we can look at the Old Testament and we can say, yeah, you know, Adam, God was with Adam in the garden. He spoke to him. He was in the, there in the Old Testament. He was doing these amazing miracles. The ground would open up and swallow people. He was on the mountain. He made the mountain blow up with a storm. And he, he was there literally with a cloud of smoke by day, a cloud of fire by night in the Old Testament. He was there everywhere, man. You could see it. And then when Jesus came, wow, that was Jesus, God in the flesh, walking among them. Man, they have all this. What do I have? I can't see it. Do you feel like you're an orphan spiritually right now? In, verse, in chapter 15, Jesus says, excuse me, verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart... I will send him to you. So there's a lot I need to learn about this helper. But one of the things he says that it's to our advantage. If Jesus, the Son of God, walking in the flesh, doing miracles, healing people, talking with, as like a close friend right there with them, back and forth. Jesus says, it's better for you, it's to your advantage that I go away. So whatever our state of mind is, you know, I could, I could see in the Old Testament, in the Bible, how God was there with them. What about me? We're going to study a little bit about this this afternoon. But one of the things that we can see is that this helper was going to come. He says, I will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. That forever is forever. That's us included. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So the first thing about this is I just need to learn to appreciate this helper, this Holy Spirit, obviously, because it's a big deal. I might not ever understand everything about it. But I can't look at God and feel like, man, God, what, what are you doing? What, where, you're not coming through for me because he has. It's a matter of whether I see it or not. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The reality is you're not an orphan. But whether you feel like it or not, that's, that's in our own minds. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Wow. Do you see him? Because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Again, it's almost like it's kind of a mystical question. Like, how are you going to show yourself to them and not to, or to us and not to other people? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. 
He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So it's, it's not mystical. It's not some far out idea. He's like, just do what I say. And you can know me. You can be close to me. So whatever we understand about this, we learn in chapter 16, verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't hear them now. However, when he, the, when this, however, when he the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. So we learn that this Holy Spirit, at least what we can know, is it came and it delivered the word on the day of Pentecost, starting on the day of Pentecost. And so whatever we need to know, we've got it right here. Do we appreciate this like it's literally part of God with us? And I think a lot of times we, we might fall into the trap and we hear the world talking about the Holy Spirit and we want some infomercial Holy, infomercial Holy Spirit. Like bing, bang, boom. There's, there's one right there. There's one under your seat. That's not how it has to work, though. He's like, just follow me. Keep my commandments. And it's, it's simple. He can live inside you. And we can mistake these simple reading the Bible and taking it in, praying about it, we can look past that and go, no, I want something bigger than that. We mistake and we don't understand the value, at least I fail to a lot of times, the value of just reading it and having that aha moment and this understanding of what's in there. And he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to live in you. Today, if you don't have that in your heart, in your life, why not? He only offers us good things. The fact that all this plan is set up for you, we've already made it most of the way through. It's, we're just waiting on Him. And if you're not ready this morning, why? There's no reason not to be. You can leave here and wake up every morning with this, real, this realization that your life means more. Your life is going to be more. More than you can make out of it. More than your schooling or your career or your eight hours a day. You're going for something more. You've heard a little bit of that word this morning. If you believe it, you can repent of your past life and say, I want to change. I want to wake up. I want to live a new life. You can confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we learn that He will confess us back. You can be baptized and added to the church as they were on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.38. Or if you've done that and you just need some help, you want our prayers. I know I need yours. It's okay to not be okay. And we all need to wake up. We all need to revamp. We all need to repent daily. But if you want the prayers of the church to help you with that together, please do that. If there's any case, one of the other case, come while we stand while we sit. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.